0: Brantford Marcellus' first love was not jazz, despite growing up in a legendary jazz family. In fact, his first performance was classical, and his first paid gig was R&B. And anybody who listens to Brantford Marcellus wailing on If You Love Somebody, Set Them Free at Sting's 60th Birthday Concert knows that R&B is still deeply embedded in Brantford's soul. In the following interview recorded in 1988, I think, Branford is open and honest about wanting to play music without borders, people's expectations, or hype.
1: Growing up in New Orleans is unique. Certain types of music are indigenous to various parts of the entire state of Louisiana. The only place in America where there are things that you won't hear outside of New Orleans. It's like you hear like some meter songs and they mean nothing to anybody around here. And you go to New Orleans and everybody just gets up, and starts dancing because of the beat. is indigenous to the culture there. Growing up in a place like that exposes you to all different types of music, more so than if I'd been someplace else. And contrary to popular belief when I was growing up, I didn't like jazz. But the thing that I could appreciate is the fact that I grew up in, an, in a jazz environment like I think the biggest mistake that a lot of people even psychologists make is by saying that well musical guys who play music and are musically gifted and all that they grew up loving music or they grew up listening to music and that's that's not the issue the issue is being exposed and I remember at the earliest age of the two or three hearing music not being able to respond to it but I know I was there and not liking classical music and not liking jazz but i heard it whether i liked it or not it was there i know a lot of people say well man i dig jazz i started learning it two years ago and they're like in their 20s it's like they said well what was your first experience in jazz hell my first experience in jazz was, and i was in the womb listening to my father practice and then when Joe Zavenu came over to the house with cannonball and i hated it i was sitting on the sofa and they were playing music, and I was bored to death. right? But it's like, I was there. I was listening to this stuff. And I think that that plays a major role in my musical development. And just being in the city where that kind of stuff was around, where you got places like Tipitina's, and places like Jed's, where most people never heard of, where all these bands would come in and play. And you could walk down the street. And all of the little clubs and the, the the Black Indians in New Orleans, and the, the Mardi Gras tradition, and the Professor Longhairs, and Dr. John Mac Rabinac being as far as I'm concerned, the foremost disciple right now in the segment of New Orleans music talking about the uptown sound, Professor Longhair and all those guys. He's like the, the one, him and, and James Booker are the two foremost authorities on that piano sound. Being around those guys, you can't really, there's no, and, and I wasn't really one of those guys who was like a club rat, I didn't hang out all the time, but the music's in the air. All the people know all the songs. They sing it. They dance a certain way. They move a certain way. They talk a certain way. And it, I think it plays a major role.
0: Was your first, like, playing experience in, in R&B? Yeah.
1: Well, no, my first, I mean, like, first playing experience was playing classical music recitals as a brat. my first professional experience was R&B.
0: And the, the, the succession of, the thing about New Orleans players, too, it seems like we have such an idea of classing people into one tight class. You know what I mean? A lot of the guys you hear. I mean, Alvin, Alan Toussaint, he was a great, he wrote great R&B songs for Herman Thomas. He had, God, he could play classical piano and he could play jazz. Mm-hmm. So I guess, in a way, you've gone through different things. Do you see yourself as just like a musician and maybe not just a jazz musician?
1: I get bored, that's my problem. I get bored very easily and I can't, I can't just sit down and, and play the same thing. All the time i couldn't be in an orchestra i would go crazy and i've been playing jazz for five years and i was going crazy because i just needed to do something different for a while I, i'm always going to be like that i get restless a lot of guys don't know like that they don't like doing just the same thing all the time
0: just another interesting thing that i talked to kevin eubanks about was the fact that people have taken to really attaching to, to young dudes who are playing the music and saying hey they are the thing happening now. It's just, I don't know if, if it's a pressure for you and also whether sort of how you feel about it, because it, it seems like it takes people in any kind of occupation time to develop. There's no pressure, because this is what I want to do. I don't
1: allow people to put pressure on me. The only person I can put pressure on me is myself. We have all these people who say, well you should sound like this when you're this age. You like no, because people are different. You should sound like whatever you sound like at the given time. And and there's no such thing as like an absolute in terms of talent or development. You know, you see guys and say, Well, that got will never be a great musician. I me mean, could shock the hell out of everybody. And I'm never gonna be in the position of But I mean saying something stupid about another sax player and then having the ghost come and haunt me five years down the road to the man, what you said about me, man? <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, that ain't gonna go on. That ain't gonna go down. I I have high expectations for myself. That's like I want it to sound a certain way, and when it doesn't sound that way, I mean, I don't care what anybody else tells me how great it was, if I'm not satisfied, then I'm not satisfied. Because I'm not in this to have my ego stroked, I'm not in this for people to pat me on the back. I'm in this, I don't know why I'm in it, but I mean, now that I am in it, I'm going to do the best that I can possibly do, and I I know when I'm the best that I can be
0: and when I'm not. I grew up in the 60s, that's when jazz made a real big impression on me with, with John Coltrane and others. And in the 70s, seemed to sort of just get lost a little for me. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
1: I can see like the confusion because jazz was kind of popular in the 40s and 50s because that was pop music then. And then pop music came out and they said, what the hell with jazz? And a lot of jazz musicians were like, what? Nobody's paying attention to us anymore. So what do we have to do to get back in the good graces of those that were paying attention to us? The Movie actresses used to go check out all of the, the jazz gigs and stuff. The stars go to the jazz clubs. And then it's like, now the stars go to the Beatles concerts and the Stings concerts and stuff. So the musicians were like, well, what are we going to do to get, get those people back to us? So they got their high heel sneakers and their wigs and their glasses and they, <laughs> they went for it. I do projects because they're musically interesting to me. And I think that they have like, the, the dignity that I would want anything that I would be a part of to have. But if you're a musician, I mean, if you're going to choose in 1980 to play jazz, if you sit down and say, I want to play jazz. All of the facts of the past 20 years are laid out in front of you. You should know. You can say, all right, this is what happened to Miles, this is what happened to Bird, this is what happened to Train, this is what happened to Monk, this is what happened to all the cats. And if you come in the jazz expecting fame and fortune and dollars, then you're a, you're a damn fool. Because history goes against that theory. It was like in the 50s and the 40s, all of that was there. So a lot of the guys say, wow, man, it's glamorous, man. I want to I wanna play in Basie's band, and the women will be Lindy hopping to the music, and we'll be jamming and swinging, and... They, they get into the glamour part of it. Well, there ain't no more of that. I think that that's probably the best thing that ever happened to jazz. It kind of woke people up. And now they see. So the people that are there
0: now, people that want to be there for the music,
1: or oh, they wouldn't be there at all.
0: Speaking, going back to the 40s a little, you have very definite ideas, which I guess I agree with, about the acoustic quality of jazz and maybe how it's to be recorded.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the 40s and the 50s were the best records because they weren't destroyed by the so-called modern technology. The so thing about modern technology, modern technology was developed to enhance rock music. Nobody ever sat down and spent any amount of time saying, well, these are the things that happen in jazz music. This is what happens when you do this to a saxophone. So jazz musicians, who didn't know any better. The guys in my father's generation, that used to be my biggest fight with my dad. I said, come on, man, you can't record it, there." And he says, man, I'm just a musician. I'm not worried about all that, but it's your record. It sounds like crap. I mean, people are going to say your record sounds like crap. <laughs> They're not going to say, oh, wow, Ellis Marsalis is a great player, but the studio wasn't very great, and now they don't know all of that. And it made me want to, want to be aware of all that. And the only, only music that has any amount of uh, time spent on it, developing it, that's acoustic, is finding music. So you talk to those guys. You don't talk to somebody. I went to, to, to look at studios for my record, this guy says, man, we do a lot of jazz here. It's a great studio. The ceiling's about seven feet high. So I'm like, you do jazz here? He says, Yeah, man, a lot of cats He's selling this studio. I don't blame him. He says, I can play a tape for you. I said, This I gotta hear. It was some Grover Washington kind of stuff. But that's his image of jazz. He says, Check out this tape and turn Doon, ka doo doom ka and the cat playing some generic shit on the piano. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> See you later. It's like that's what the image of jazz has become. And uh, you know, I mean, you, you can't really fault any one thing for that, nor can you sit around and waste your time worrying about it. You just do what you have to do. So I asked some classical guys, hey, man, what about this? He said, man, what you need is a big room. Because they explained the whole thing in like five minutes. It's like, blam. See, man, what you need is a really, really big room, because acoustic instruments have to resonate. And, but you can't get a, reson- a resonant tone if you're sitting in a 15, a 10-foot ceiling or a 15-foot ceiling behind a glass and like a lot of records sound like garbage because they got the drum in the booth sax players in a booth and they make the record and it sounds separate then they try to put artificial echo in it to make it sound full and it sounds awful it sounds terrible and the new technology is based towards electronic pulses which is why more and more they relying on electronic instruments more and more and real instruments less and less because it's easier to record those things over them and get the pure tone because it's just an, a signal it doesn't deal with an actual instrument so they just do that. And, and, and it sounds great, and they say, wow, technology is really doing a great thing? Yeah, for art, for, 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 for non-instruments. For, I mean, for electronic instruments, technology is doing a great thing. And like the thing you notice about... See, acoustic music is harder to play. Electronic instruments, you can play the same thing over and over again, and it sounds good. And it limits you. There's only a certain amount of things you can play. Same thing on acoustic instruments, but acoustic instruments are harder to play. I mean, no matter what, they can argue till doomsday. I know guys that can pick up an acoustic instrument and then pick up an electric instrument. They won't sound like an electric player, but the facility will be more. There will be greater facility for an acoustic player playing an electric instrument than an electric instrument switching around. So yeah, It's like when you study it, when you talk to these guys and do all your research, you begin to the see that There's a lot of things. A lot of jazz musicians like recording in booths so they can overdub their solos later, which is some stuff that I have. That's ridiculous. It takes away all of the spontaneity. It's like, I don't, I don't like that anymore. And I do, like in the old, like, Miles used to have this way of, my my little brother Delphio was going to produce my next record. He's an audio engineering major at Berkeley, and he's helped me figure a lot of this out. Like, Miles found out a way to overdub solos in an acoustic setting. I mean, like by taking this big plexiglass plate and sticking it up right in front of the band, I mean, and putting him behind it so that the sound still resonates cuz it's bouncing around the room it's not trapped in but the plate keeps the leakage of the rest of the band out and if you notice like on all those records with uh, kind of blue and all those things like jimmy cobb isn't really hitting the drums real hard he's just going like ding 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 oh, ding, ding 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 bang just little fills and yeah. stuff cuz as long as he's playing like that then the drums are going to leak into the trumpet sound I mean, and when the drums don't link to the trumpet sound, you can just overdub and it sounds natural. I mean, it was genius. I personally don't believe in overdubbing solos on a jazz record because jazz, the essence of jazz is spontaneity. And when you start doing that, I mean, the solos will become classic, but they lose the spontaneity. I mean, you can fool people, but you can't fool yourself. And I'm not into fooling myself, nor am I into fooling other people. So, I'm like, after a couple of years of years of talking to my brother and talking to Steve Epstein and Tom Mowry, two great producers, you learn things, and you learn about how jazz is, in the essence, going backwards. <laughs> Technology has brought the music backwards instead of bringing it forward, because the research isn't done for us. So what we have to do is create our own research and do our own thing.
0: It makes a lot of sense, especially you when know, I see the horrible way sometimes they might, that whole big horn sound that, that Webster Ben Webster used to get or something like that, Just it's gone.